from the latest on Caribbean cruises to kosher safaris, pilgrimages to Jewish Eastern Europe and award-winning wines and international cuisine in sun-drenched Tel Aviv. Sit back and enjoy the trip with the travel edition of the Jerusalem Post podcast. Well, hello, Mark. Hello, David. We're on the road again. Yay! How does that sound? We're on the road again. Is that just the lyrics or was there a tune behind that? <laughs> With the way my throat is at the moment, post-COVID, it's not surprising that Mark it's even moves less. four foot to the right. <laughs> You've not been to Prague before, have you? No. No, I think I'm the only person in the world that hasn't. <laughs> well, if that were the case, there would be no need for this particular podcast. So, so it's been not. lovely talking to you and we'll see you again <laughs> next time. So I'll only say it the once now so we get it out of the way. I've been to Prague a few times. I came the first time in 1990 when it was still Czechoslovakia before tourists. Uh, the old square, I remember walking through, there were only two of us in the square. It was deserted and today people come here in there. Well, as we'll find out during the podcast, 170,000 Israelis came here per year pre-COVID. What are your first impressions? It's nay bad. (laughs) No, it's from a quick walk around and a quick drive from the airport. It's just beautiful. The city is divided in a way that the old city isn't spoilt with glass towers and modernity. It's preserved and it's beautiful. And certainly, as someone, we say this a lot, someone living in Israel, you do not see the history from the 1200s, the 1300s anywhere. So The new town was developed in the 1300s. The hotel which we're staying in, which we'll hear about in detail, we've been blessed with a corner view. And the view is of the River Vlatava with a weir going across it, boats sailing as far as the weir and then on the other side of the river the castle the forest the mini eiffel tower old historic homes that were palaces and whilst when we'd arrived the weather wasn't so fantastic suddenly blue skies and then more rain <laughs> no, it's today's going to be fab day weather-wise. It's a short stay today. It certainly is. Although, actually, with my legs, I don't think any day should be a short stay. Yes, I mean, hopefully there'll be a bit of sun to turn those milky legs <laughs> maybe slightly off work. I put on suntan lotion. Uh, anyway, enough of the personal. What have we got coming up um, in this pod? Well, for me, because it's the first time we're going to do the main sites mm-hmm. in Prague, we're going to see some of the old historic buildings, And I'm saying this as someone who's never been here before. So we're going to go to the town square. We're going to go look at the astronomical clock. I can't even say the word. It's great. It's easy for you to say, yeah. Astronomical clock. Mm -hmm. Um, Well done. We'll go to the castle. I think we're just going to have a good walk around and see what there is. But on top of that, like every trip, we're going to fill our faces. We're going to eat. We're going to drink. And we might do one or two rather unusual things. One in particular... But more of that later in the pod. David, mm-hmm. promise me something. Yes. I don't have to take my clothes off. But before we get going, Mark, time for a quick pod question. Question number one and the only question of the pod. But Mark can prove he can count. Question number two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Prague or Praha means what in English? Mm. A short question. The answer at the end of the pod. This is the Jerusalem Post podcast travel edition. Find us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at MarkDavidPod or mail us at MarkDavidPod at gmail.com. In the middle of Prague, by the Charles Bridge, we're in this oasis of quiet. But it's not just an oasis of quiet. It's a place of history, a place of romance. A beautiful courtyard surrounds us. This is the Mozart Prague Hotel, and we're with the hotel's general manager, Stefan. Tell us a little bit about yourself first. Well, uh, here I am, tall, blonde, and blue-eyed Swedish. Unfortunately, you can't see that I'm definitely not looking Swedish. The light is a little strange here. <laughs> I'm not certainly not seeing that. <laughs> now, uh, who am I? I am well-traveled seasoned hotelier. I left Sweden, it's now over 30 years ago. I worked in Norway. Russia, Hungary, Poland, Qatar, India, Oman, Turkey, and Dubai, and now in Czech Republic. 
This is a little different to Dubai and Qatar. <laughs> Our project in Dubai before coming here was to open the first uh, Paramount Hotel in the world, which was uh, 823 room and uh, 1,200 apartments. So from that to a 70-room palace, it's a little bit different. You use the term palace, and we should say that's not just a marketing ploy. We are actually in the inner courtyard of a four, five hundred-year-old palace. Absolutely. This is originally called Pachta Palace, and it dates back to the first record is uh, of the building is uh, 1628. So uh, it has a lot of history and. Uh, this property or palace has always been a lively property. It's been full of life over the centuries and uh, this is uh, now one of our big uh, tasks to continue keeping and bringing life into this beautiful property. It's called the Mozart Hotel. From memory and basic history, Mozart was Austrian, but we're in Prague. As you might know, Mozart, uh, he might have sound uh, or when we think of Mozart today we think of classic historical but when you go back uh, over 235 years ago Mozart he was uh, not uh, always accepted in Austria so Mozart he liked to come to Prague there is a saying where Mozart, Mozart is saying my Prague is understand me because let's face it uh, Mozart at his time he was really a rock star he was a Mick Jagger of his time Today we look at it as classic, but back then he was enjoying life as well, uh, full of life. But you've not just taken his name, he actually has a connection with this building and not just him in terms of fam famous people from the past. So he and his good friend Casanova, if we go back 235 years ago, where we are standing now, this is where the boys were hanging out. Uh, and Earl Pachta, who was the owner of uh, the palace, he was a great music lover and uh, he invited Mozart and Casanova to stay here. Mozart, he uh, enjoyed life here and the same did Casanova. And Casanova, he wrote the poems, etc. And Earl Pachta's wife, she was also Italian, so there was a great connection there. We have found some nice poems in the Maltese library that dates back to the time where Casanova wrote to Lady Pachta. As beautiful as Venus, as refreshing as the dawn, capable of enchanting thoughts and arousing the admiration of the soul, I present to you a flower that aspires to the honor of decorating your chest, which only there can live happily. But Mozart, of course, he was the main person. And Alpachta, one day, he was upset with Mozart. He said, listen, Mozart, you come here, you enjoy my hospitality, you stay here and enjoying everything that I offer but you you know how much I love my music and you promised to write me something and yet you haven't done it so now I'm pointing up in the corner here so Alpachta said to Mozart symbolically I'm gonna lock you up I have prepared ink and paper in this room and I let you out once you write me something Mozart said okay I have to go up then and so Mozart, he went up, he wrote what is called K509, the six German dancers, he wrote up there in the corner. So this is our great history and the stories that we are able to tell. So, David, which one of us is Casanova and which one of us is the creative artist? Well, I'm going to take on another historical character and we're going to wander a few metres, a few yards away into the cigar room and we're heading to a corner where there is a glass-fronted cabinet, I think maybe it's oak, and inside are lots of images of somebody famous in history but from our lifetime. This is uh, what you are pointing at. It's our Václav Havel corner, Czech Republic's first president. And uh, he has also a history dating back here, which is, uh, of course, much more recent than Mozart. But exactly where we are standing now, when my owner, uh, Jean-François Ott, had lunch with Václav Havel when he was president, in this room at this table, they were having lunch. Václav Havel, he said, oh, I know this room very well. 
in the old days, because he was against communists, so he was sentenced to the theater, which is vis-a-vis uh, -vis to us here. He said, where you have the TV now, there used to be the steps up to the main stage. So he was the winchman taking the rideau up and down. So here where we are standing now, he was sitting in had a little desk, looking up on the stage, and he was writing his poems and uh, books and uh, things here. So this is, let's say, our much more recent history, but also something we are very proud of. This is clearly a hotel where other than Mozart being locked into a room and Václav Havel <laughs> creating in the corner. Casanova has been here, and Casanova you associate with romance. Is that the sort of vibe you're trying to get from the hotel? As you can see, we are 154 meters from Charles Bridge, which is the closest, let's say, five-star hotel to Charles Bridge. And the front of our hotel has the most beautiful view of the castle. I think you have seen it as well. Uh, we also overlook Charles Bridge and Vlatava River. When the sun is setting behind the castle, it's one of the most romantic pictures you can imagine. Mark, you and me, romantic weekend. Just don't tell my wife. Perfect. <laughs> so I, I have to say, first of all, a big thank you, because I was praying you were going to give me the room that I've ended up in, because the view over the river and to the castle is stunning. What I'd like us to do now, maybe, is to go down into the cellar, where we'll continue our conversation. As we're heading out, then you should maybe just tell us about the owner of this hotel, and also something about the international staff that are here. Our owner is Mr. Jean-François Ott, French, but uh, with great legacy here in Czech Republic. He was one of the first international developers to come to the country in the uh, 90s. All in all, he has developed over 600 buildings uh, around Europe, where Prague was one of the first destinations. So a great successful man uh, now uh, living in uh, Cannes where we are also developing our business. We have uh, some more hotels, but also some very exciting online platform that we are building. We are very multicultural here. We have staff from uh, Slovakia, Czech Republic, Sweden, uh, Jordan, Romania, Egypt, Israel, Ukraine, Russia, Indonesia, Mexico, Bulgaria. Burkina Faso? No, not yet, but uh, <laughs> if you have one, we are happy to. <laughs> By saying this is that uh, we are all very international. We don't put religion, we don't put politics, etc. We are just good people uh, with great personalities working here. So we've come to the spa. It's not a, a normal spa that you would expect, tiled floors. Where are we? It's, I'm, I'm a little confused. Now we are basically a little bit under the courtyard. We are one floor down. And as you can see, this is the old place because you have the curved ceiling. It's almost like a cellar where we have put in a sauna, shower, some relaxing area. We also have a massage room where you can have couple massage. But this is when you really feel that uh, you are going back in time. It's dark. This is the original brickwork, yes? Yes, yes, yes. Also, when you previous room that we visited with all these frescoes, etc., this is where you feel that you are in an old property with a history, etc. You wish that walls could, uh, they could tell you a lot of stories, I'm sure. Do you claim to have any ghosts? Uh, I don't claim, but I don't say no, neither. <laughs> <laughs> we went to room 102, if you are coming here. You have to stay in room 102. It has the original frescoes from three, four hundred years ago. I think it, they are about 250 years old. And the important question, David and I both have beautiful views of the river and the castle. Who's got the nicer room? Well, you both have very similar room, but... Uh Luckily, no rooms are the same, so I let your taste uh, decide. You can measure or uh, argue between each other, but uh, they are beautiful rooms, and they are, you will be amazed of the bustling life outside, but how quiet it is inside of the property. David and I have huge smiles on our faces at the moment. Stefan, thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you so much. The ultimate 
as they say, the young folk these days, the ultimate in Instagrammable Prague is the Charles Bridge with the castle in the background. The Charles Bridge, named as many other places are throughout this city, after Charles IV back in the 1300s, there's also Charles University, it's really the centre of the city. It's the joiner of the two sides of the Vltava River, the castle side that we're heading towards now, and behind us, the old town, the Jewish area, and the new town, which I always think is funny because it was built in the 1300s. The bridge is replete with statues and imagery across the way, mainly Catholic statues that were added much, much later. The bridge itself was built in 1357, and at the beginning of the bridge, there is a museum, and there is a number on top of the museum, and it says... It was built in 1357 on the 9th of July at 531. That was when the first stone was laid. And if you put those numbers together, it's palindromic and it goes 13579 I remembered that. That's quite good. You're an accountant and a freak. Uh, numbers. <laughs> numbers, yes. <laughs> we are delighted to be in the company of a tour guide who is going to introduce herself and tell us a little bit about who you are. Hello, uh, my name is Vlasta. I am living for all my life in Prague. For me, Prague is the nicest city in the whole world. I have traveling a lot of my life. I have to say Prague is the best place for me. Now, I know you've been to Jerusalem. And you're saying it's even better than Jerusalem? Oh, because it's a long time ago and my memory is a little weak. But I expect that Jerusalem must be also a very nice city and very historical city. I lied, Prague is my favourite city but in the world by, by far. And I have to be careful saying this because if I keep saying Prague is amazing, then we might not get invitations to go to other places. But I, Prague I'd like to say Manchester is my favourite city. <laughs> <laughs> Just in brief, give us a quick summary of the last where are we up to 1200 years of history of, of Prague we had a, a lot of leaders of, of my beautiful city the first one uh, Vikings called premise lights which were originally Czech uh, nation kings uh, then we had the uh, kings partly from Luxembourg uh, which is also the Charles the Ford his father came from Luxembourg to Prague then we had kings from Lithuania and Poland till 1918 and 1918 we finally became independent and we became uh, called Czechoslovakia on that time only till 1939 because then we became part of uh, Nazist world till end of the war of course not because we wanted but because we were enacted by Nazists very soon 1948 we became part of the Soviet uh, part of the world uh, till 1989 when Velvet Revolution happened and we became again independent. And till now we are again Czech Republic, not Czechoslovakia anymore, because January 1st, 1993, we got divorced with Slovaks. So my wife said to me, you'll love Prague, it's flat. <laughs> Clearly she never crossed the river into the lesser town. Because we have climbed to the top of a very large hill and to the castle. The journey has taken us, once we crossed over the Charles Bridge, we went on to a mini island called Kampa, where we saw, amongst other things, I mean, for, for me, the, the older buildings and, and the sites where Beethoven composed the more significant, but many of you might be familiar with the John Lennon wall, where we did our Instagram thing. If you want to see those photographs, you can do that via our social media, at Mark David Pod. We've passed many fine cafes along the way, and in the basement of one of them, there was a mini Gollum museum with a model of the Gollum from a, a famous 1960s Czech movie. It's one of the archetypal pictures of the Gollum. And then we climbed through the streets, through districts that looked like France, that looked like parts of Italy, just beautiful European plazas. I have to tell you, it's the biggest uh, castle complex in whole world, uh, called Prague Castle. This is the oldest part of Prague, founded in year 882. And this is the place uh, from where our rulers uh, leaded us. So the place, which is the, the most famous one there, is San Vitus Cathedral. When you go inside, uh, you can see the wonderful reflections uh, during uh, by sun via the window to the cathedral, which are really amazing. 
And now, uh, when we finish all the castle, a lot of the um, palaces, now we stay in the oldest uh, vineyards of Prague, founded probably, probably in 9th century, done by uh, good King Wenceslas, one of the main patron of my country. So I don't think Mark has actually seen yet, but if he turned around, he would see that the vineyard that you're talking about, there are grapes. They are tiny, tiny, tiny grapes. Mm -hmm. Is wine actually produced from here? Yeah, yeah, the wine is produced, but of course that the tribes are not so old. It couldn't be for 1,000 years there. So they are um, more younger. They are uh, two types. In Czech we say Riesling. Re yeah. Probably Riesling. Re either we either say Riesling or Riesling. Yeah, Riesling, yeah. And the red one, it's Pinot Noir. Production, it's very small. I was told about 700 bottles only. One other place to mention, as we were walking through the lesser town up to the castle, you took us into a chocolate store. Uh -huh. What's the name of the chocolate store and, and tell yeah. us a little bit about uh -huh. what they have there? Yeah, so in chocolate store, which is a is this production of Prague, the name is uh, Kovařík and Steiner. They produce chocolate, I don't know, for 20 years at least. Yeah, it's like a newly founded factory, but the chocolate is tasty as you tried. So was the chocolate wine. It was also yeah, very good. yeah, yeah. Thank you for spending this morning with us. We now have to go on to our next adventure, but I think you're going to be joining us in an upcoming podcast as well as we look at the other side of the river and the Jewish story of Prague. Yeah, I'm looking forward to share my knowledge of Prague. If people are coming to Prague and want to be guided around by you, how do they get in contact with you? The Prague City Tourism is the way. The Prague City Tourism is the way how they can uh, hire me. So they can contact you through Prague City Tourism. Exactly, and your exactly. Name is Vlasta Edrova. E D R O V A. It would be my pleasure to to meet you there. Vlasta, we'll see you again soon. We are at Manifesto Market, which opened about nine months ago. With us is Martin Barry, who is the founder of Manifesto Market. We've been here for a couple of hours and we've had a great time. But tell our listeners about Manifesto Market. First of all, thanks for listening. And guys, thanks for having me on the show. It's, uh, it's always nice to you know, see friendly faces that are interested to hear uh, what we're doing here. So Manifesto Market, it's a place where you can come get great food from 14 different restaurants, two bars, and have a great time. There's a small pool. We have lots of live bands, lots of entertainment, films, etc. And you'll see lots of interesting people when you come here. You said live entertainment. I know, I think you said you've had over 450 events in the time that you've been open. Describe for us, if you will, the look and the feel of this place. If you're coming in summer, you'll arrive, you'll see an open air market uh, with restaurants all around. It's built out of what might look like shipping containers, but they've been kind of custom-built containers uh, out of silver metal panels. Most of them are open on two or three sides. And so it's kind of open air, open environment. So you'll see a lot of the restaurants, the chefs cooking behind the counters, some people sitting at the counters, eating and enjoying food or having a nice glass of wine. You might see people sitting on long communal picnic tables surrounded by greenery. We have big birch trees in the middle of the market. Again, in summertime, you'll arrive at the center of the market, which is really the beating heart of this place. There's two bars, one a beer bar selling local Czech beer, uh, one of the, the Czech favorites, Pilsner Urkel, along with a microbrewery, Vinorodsky Pivovar. And then next to it is a cocktail bar, which has, I think, wonderfully handmade cocktails with some local flavors, a lot of homemade syrups, all natural ingredients. And then you'll turn around and you'll see a pool. And you'll see people kind of like dipping their feet in the pool, sunbathing. We have a work from the pool policy where we will provide you a kind of shade and free water and things like that. So you can just kind of enjoy yourself. Not working from anywhere, but working at Manifesto by the pool. As we walked to where we're standing now, we walked through the venue and you told us to stop for a second and turn around and look and a big smile came across your face and you basically said look at the pleasure people are getting from here. Prague Tourism Authority asked us if we'd like to come and we said absolutely it's something different it's something new but it is a little bit off the tourism path. How much are you looking for folks from outside to come? How much of this is a venue for people from Prague? 
I think Mark said that he wasn't so excited about coming, but... Uh, th- oh, that's just harsh, that. <laughs> I, I said I wanted to go to everywhere, but David was the one who said, this is where we're going. I think maybe you thought there was maybe too many hipsters or, uh, you know, one of these places for young people. But as you're looking around, we're standing in front of a couple of kids right now in, in the strollers, one, one playing with the gravel. It's actually, a, you know, during the day and, and early evening, it's a great place for families, and, and you'll see that throughout the weekend. And then at nighttime, you'll see, you know, more younger people hanging out. So there are some hipsters that come here but mostly middle class uh, people enjoying their free time you know we, we say it's like people who know how to spend the best of their time and they come here for great food and great entertainment but yes it, it does bring a huge smile across my face and I think a lot of the customers faces when you see a full house and people just enjoying the music and enjoying kind of uh, lazing around enjoying the atmosphere we're gonna go on a walk soon through the complex but behind me is an outlet called Bava Tell me about Bava, it has a special story. So we opened a competition for a Ukrainian restaurant at the start of the war. We wanted to do something for Ukrainians other than just offering jobs, which we did, but something that we could really help people establish a career, establish a business. So we offered a free rent for six months and a small investment in the equipment in the unit so that someone could start a restaurant and also hire refugees. So a young Ukrainian woman had won the competition. She's hired a couple of Ukrainian refugees to cook in the kitchen. Great Veroniki, so if you like dumplings, it's the place to be. Uh, if you like Ukrainian sweets, it's the place to get them. Great homemade lemonades and iced teas. Uh, yeah, we love this concept and, and we love the young entrepreneur who's running it. So good initiative. We're happy to be involved in it and help Ukrainians get started here in Prague. And uh, I think they're pretty happy here too. Okay, let's start walking through. Now, are they chips or are they fries? Where I come in from the United States, they're fries. They call themselves fancy fries. If you're sitting in England or Great Britain, you'll know them as chips. And they come large and small, and check that's Molly and Velky. Variety of sauces, some vegan and vegetarian sauces. They're Czech potatoes, they're double fried in the Belgian style. I think it's the best French fry south of Belgium. You said vegetarian. If I'm a vegetarian or I don't eat meat, what options do I have here? Actually, you can get a vegetarian or vegan option at every restaurant we have. That's part of the concept of signing a lease here. You have to serve vegan and vegetarian meals. And so basically, if you want a Ukrainian, you can get a vegan Ukrainian meal or a vegetarian Ukrainian meal. Uh, if you want a burger, you can get Beyond Meat uh, a burger. So basically, every concept you get to. As we walk around, I don't recognize any of these names. There's no McDonald's. There's no Starbucks. I, none of these names are familiar to me. Is that deliberate? It is deliberate. We want only independent restaurants operating here. So these are all businesses that are founded here locally, but they're mostly founded by international people living in Czech Republic. So yeah, you won't find any franchises or chain restaurants here. As we met you, a couple of guys came to the entrance of the restaurant and said, where's the Dirty Dog Southern Smokehouse? Have we found the right place? In fact, before that, they said, do you speak English? And one of them was from Vermont. Vermont, yes. Tourists do come specifically to find particular restaurants here. They do, and I think these restaurants are becoming pretty famous, I would say. Like, and Dirty Dog is a great example. I think it's the best barbecue uh, in Czech Republic. He's uh, an American guy, founded the business uh, three years ago. He's been with us for three years. And yeah, I think uh, there's tons of tourists now coming, particularly after COVID. People are looking for something different to do in Prague. This is a place where you can get it. You can kind of feel like you're in a different environment, but you sort of feel like you're in an international environment as well. David said that we're not in the center and we're not in the old town of Prague. How easy is it to get to here? It takes like, uh, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes on the tram or I'd say a five minute Uber from the very city center. It's pretty easy to get here. You can walk across the bridge if you're at the dancing house, uh, this famous uh, modern Czech building. You're across the bridge in 10 minutes, you're here. I want to try to give a mention to all of the places, at least so people get a, a flavor, as it were, of what you have. So to our right, we've got Greek. Right in front of us, Brazilian. And off here on the right is... Seafood. Italian and seafood, yeah. Right. So you actually can get great pizza here. There's a vegetarian option. They have a mushroom pizza, which is amazing. The operator of this Italian place actually has a Michelin star in one of his restaurants. He's Michelin guided in almost every restaurant he opens. How did you come up with this idea? As an American living in Prague, I missed great food sometimes. And we missed kind of a great kind of cool place to hang out. So we thought like, well, let's try to build one. And so that's how it started. But honestly, 
I'm inspired as a placemaker. I used to be an architect that designed places uh, like this for the for the community, and I visited kind of dozens of food markets and food halls around the world, from Singapore to Seattle, and I've kind of taken little cues from each of them, how we can do it better, how can we can do it similarly. We're now by naan and curry, which from the name is obviously Indian cuisine. There's an empanada restaurant. In front of me is Korean, to my left is Mexican tacos. It's a real international flavor. Is the plan for Manifesto to stay in Prague or is there an international plan for Manifesto? You'll find hopefully Manifesto in most cities around the world in let's say 20 or 30 years. But we're in Czech Republic, we're focusing on local businesses here, but we're trying to create an international vibe and yeah, we think we can bring that to other cities. So we're bringing one to Berlin in September this year and we'll bring it to other European cities in the next couple of years. Behind me as well, there is poke, which I know is very popular in Israel. It really is the United Nations of food here and high quality. I think unlike going to a food truck in the middle of nowhere, everything here has been specially chosen for its quality as well as its international flavor. How do people get the details of Manifesto? Google us. You'll find we have like great Google review. We're on TripAdvisor. You can find our website, manifestomarket.com. Before we let you go, what's your favorite food? And it's really not fair. What's your favorite dish here? I love all of them. <laughs> not but fair. On not any fair. given day, I love Greek because it's pretty light. Because I'm here a lot, and otherwise I'd be like a balloon if I ate everything. So the Greek dishes are great. I do love the kati roll from the Indian restaurant. And I love the vegetarian tacos here at, uh, at Alabrijes. Martin, CEO, founder, 24-7, liver of this experience with big dreams. Thank you. Guys, thank you so much for having me, and I really hope you enjoyed the experience of Manifesto. It's incredible. Really, really highly recommended. Excellent. Great. Prague Fact File. Václav Havel Airport, Prague, can be reached directly from New York with Delta, from the UK with British Airways, EasyJet, Ryanair and Jet2, from Paris with Air France and Czech Airlines. There are up to 30 Tel Aviv flights per week available with Arkea, Bluebird, El Al, Israel and Smartwings. Prague Railway Station is accessed from Airport Terminal 1 using the Airport Express. Buses 100 and 119 link you up with Prague's underground network. A three-day transport pass costs around 330 karuna or $13.50. Children under 15 and seniors over 65 go free. We stayed at the five-star Mozart Hotel. Other recommended hotels include the Four Seasons, Hilton, Mandarin Oriental and the Grand Mark. The Kosher King David Hotel is located near Prague's main train station. 100 US dollars will buy you 2430 Czech Karuna as of July 2022. The climate of Prague is moderately continental, characterized by cold winters, with temperatures often below freezing, and mild or pleasantly warm summers. There are 27 Prague restaurants in the Michelin Guide, including two with one Michelin star. One of those is Field, near the Jewish Quarter. Kosher restaurants include Chabad Grill, Umilo Italian, Shellano Pizzeria, King Solomon, and Shalom Restaurant. Of course, most people arriving in the Czech Republic will land in Prague, although many might actually come in by rail or by road uh, and arrive in other parts of the country. Of course, you must see Prague, but there are many, many other beautiful locations, old towns, castles, rivers, spas. To tell us more about what this beautiful country has to offer, is Marek Krutel, who is the International Marketing Manager for Czech Tourism. First of all, why should people come to Prague? The city itself has really, really long history. It's also about a lot of experiences and new places to visit, trendy places, not for history geeks, but also for modernism lovers. It's all about experiences, about the gastronomy, about art, about life in the city seeing the city from the river, seeing it from the streets by walking, not only sitting in a car. I imagine that many of the people who come to the Czech Republic arrive in Prague, see the city, are absolutely blown away, 
and then go back to their countries. I'm assuming that's something you'd like to change. Of course, Prague is a must. No one will change the perception of the Czech Republic without Prague. It's the capital, it's the entrance, and it's the landing gate for the country. But, of course, for us it's really important to say there's a lot of places beyond Prague, to explore the countryside, explore the places which are not that close to Prague, let's say, uh, to experience the whole country, because even though the country is, let's say, small, but it offers a lot of things to experience. Give us some examples of the type of things. I mean, I know before we turned on the tape recorder, you were talking about skiing, you were talking about spas. Give us that feel. The Czech Republic itself can offer pretty everything, apart from the sea, you can experience, for example, being in the beautiful nature throughout the summer, throughout the spring, or in the autumn when the countryside is really colorful. Also, during the winter, if the snow allows it, uh, you will go to the mountains, which are the places where you can go with the family to start your skiing life, let's say. Start uh, with skiing, learn how to fall on the snow, and just experience it, experience the cold snow for the first time. Apart from the snow and the countryside itself, the Czech Republic is well known for the spa treatments and the spa historian traditions. There is more than 30 spa towns in the Czech Republic, which are well known for not only Israelis, but a lot of people around the whole world who are traveling over there to treat themselves to become healthier because of the healing power of our springs. This is all connected not only with the springs, but also with the countryside and with the fresh air. Is the Czech Republic easily accessible from the US, from Israel, from the rest of Europe? Are there good transport links? As the Czech Republic is in the very central part of Europe, it's really easily accessible from neighboring countries. It means from Germany, from Poland, Slovakia and Austria. Also, a lot of people from other European countries can come really easily because there is a lot of direct flights from, from European countries on a daily basis. Especially from Israel, at this time there is around 30 uh, direct flights a week from Tel Aviv to Prague, which is really important for us as a source market of the Czech Republic. Important for us is as well the US, which before, before the COVID, uh, there were several direct flights from several airports across the country. Right now, they are relaunching again, so we are relaunching it slowly, so we have the first flight with, uh, with Delta, but hopefully there will be more and more coming. Just to emphasize what you were saying, before COVID, you had 170,000 people coming a year from Israel, which is a tremendous amount from such a small country. Marek from Czech Tourism, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for inviting me. Mark. David. You know how we always do something a bit different on our trips, and sometimes they're rather discomforting? Yes. Can you not take off your underpants just yet, please? I have no intention of taking off clothing in front of you this time. I promise I'll look the other way. That noise that just came up in the background is what we're about to dip ourselves in. How's the smell? It smells like rotten beer. Guess what? What? It is, well, it's not rotten, it is beer. We are in one of three venues of the original Beer Spa, which is beerspa.com, and we are about to dip our entire bodies in beer. The room contains two wooden baths, big baths. On the right-hand side, there is a bed with straw on it. Wheat. Is it wheat? It is wheat, I believe. And that looks like straw. But apparently it's wheat because it's something to do with the ingredients of beer. I'm not eating it. <laughs> so, the therapeutic value apparently of beer comes replete with the two baths that look like casks, beer taps with as much beer as we want to drink, Krusovica light or dark beer, and beer bread. We will dip ourselves in and tell you how it goes afterwards. And I must stress at this point, we are going into two separate beer baths. And I've got my swimming trunks. <laughs> Hi, this is David Harris from the Jerusalem Post podcast, Travel Edition. Find us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at MarkDavidPod or mail us at MarkDavidPod at gmail.com. Looking at the baths now, the beer baths, they've gone black. 
So I'm not sure if that's a chemical process with the beer or just we have built up a lot of sweat and dirt today while walking around Prague. Coughing in the background is David lying on a straw bed, I think we now agree. How is the straw, Mr. Harris? So it's only a thin layer of straw and it's on a fairly hard surface. It's phenomenally comfortable. I don't know what the healing properties are of straw, but remember, people four or five hundred years ago would have slept on straw beds themselves. As do pigs and horses now. I would argue that it was probably a good stout that we were bathing in rather than our own dirt. The place is beautifully clean. It's very private. There's a shower area for you. There are cupboards to change your clothes, put up, put them away. This place, as I said, has three venues. The one we're in is about two, three minute walk from uh, the Old Town Square. And if you're looking for something relaxing to do on your own, perhaps as a couple, because each of these vats has room for two people to sit in, or as a group, highly recommended. It's a three or four minute walk, unless you put me in charge of the navigation, and then it can be a 10 to 15 minutes walk. It's at Ribner 653. The numbering system is very interesting here because buildings have two numbers, but it's number 650. You go down the stairs, you come into this lovely little chamber. It's originalbeerspa.com. The Instagram highlight of any visit to Prague, aside from the Charles Bridge, is the world's oldest fully functioning astronomical clock, which is on one of the faces of the old town hall. We're now on the inside of where that clock is. We're facing, for those of you who are familiar, or you can go and look on YouTube, in fact, you can go and look on our social media account at Mark David Pod, where we'll put up video of the clock. There are, uh, every hour, apostles that come out parade, wander around, and then we hear the chimes of the clock. That's if I actually make it out on time, because for the last chime, I think they'd all gone back into their cupboard. You did, you missed it. But somebody who can tell us all about the clock is our guide who's standing next to us right now, Lucia, right? That's correct. Good afternoon, or good morning. What you see here are the 12 apostles that are peeping every hour from above, from the glass doors and they parade for, to be precise, 47 seconds every hour. So people are very amazed that it takes only that little. They're always suspecting, I don't know what. But it's also the moment where from the outside you see the death that is uh, striking in those 47 seconds. And that should remind you of the fact that we are all mortal. Then the cockerel sounds, he chirps at the end and all the procession disappears behind the glass again. We've moved to really enormous room, big chamber. It's mainly space, there are some chairs at the back and two gigantic paintings on either side. Can you tell us a little bit about this room, the history and the two paintings that we see? Well, we moved into Assembly Hall. You will find it in the third house of the South Wing that uh, you can actually tour. And here it's where the Assembly, the City Parliament, will resign. That's where the session will take time. Um, the an enormous space is also because you have the height here for the balcony that you see in front of you for the public. And this hall, it's still today the most important room of the town hall. This is where anyone of importance being invited by the city comes on a visit. This is where they will be greeted and met by the mayor. That's where you see all the journalists will be. If they're invited, they will be here. This is where the guest book will be signed, where the hands would be shaken. The photography would take place. Now, the room, it's from 1920. 12. It's the Viennese Art Nouveau style. And those two paintings that you mention are from Mr. Brozik, which is a prominent painter who worked not just here in the Czech uh, 
or then Austrian monarchy, but also in Paris. He was teaching at the academy there. He painted each of this painting for a year. The painting is five by seven meters and weighs 600 kilos each. So that's what you call a weighty art. (laughs) (laughs) You must have had a very big easel. It would probably be one of those where you had the movable chair that you will have like a scaffold to move around. So both of these paintings are depicting things that happened in the 1400s. We're talking about very early reformation in Christianity in Europe. The hero of one of the images and on the other side are are his followers. That hero is a national hero for the Czechs, Jan Hus. Tell us a little bit about him. Well, Mr. Well, that's what we call him here. It's Mr. Jan Hus. It's like if you say uh, master, Mr. Jan Hus. It was born in South Bohemia. He was a clever chap from early age, so he would be given the privilege to attend school. And then he came to Prague, where there was a university, newly established university by Charles Ford since 13. 13- 48, and he came here in 13, they believe, about 1380s. Now, he would be studying here. He attended the theology faculty, and when he finished, completed with his bachelor degree, he would be ornated into priesthood. And as a priest and a preacher, he would be working in a nearby chapel that it's known as the Bethlehem Chapel. It's a very famous one. Now, Mr. Hoss, we can think of him as the reformative thinker rather than the reformer himself. He follows the teachings that he been fortunate enough to get hold of, of John Wycliffe, who comes from Scotland. But Mr. Hoss was not afraid to actually pick it up and run with it, as we say. Now, he, being a theologist and a scholar, philosopher, he really knew what he was talking about, and he was the one who criticized aloud um, the church of its days. He was a Catholic, because there was none other, but he criticized the fact that the church had became very corrupted and also fight it within each other and split into two parts. You had a pope in Vatican and the other in Avignon. Hus was of idea that church should go back to its times. It should turn back to the times of Jesus Christ and the apostles, should go back to the purity, should be really there for the Christians to navigate them and help them to go through their lives into the afterlife. Because that's the most important thing for Christian is the afterlife, is where you get to. But if you are sinner yourself, how can you do that? If you were rich, every day sinning was not a problem for you because you could go and basically put monies in a coffer and you will be given a little piece of note that says that you are forgiven. And uh, this all Hus was opposing to. He gained a big popularity and by 1410, majority of Bohemia was on his side and that's dangerous and what you see here in this picture it's the moment where he is pronounced a heretic that is his end of journey where he is being stripped of the priesthood as a heretic he will be then after taken outside to the river and there he will be burned on a stick alive to be uh, precise At the end of this tour, we've gone up the tower, which is on the third floor, and then you go up in a little rocket ship to the top of the old town hall tower, where you get the panoramic view of the city, of the four original cities that emerged into modern-day Prague. We've had a delightful time in the cellars, hearing about execution, defenestration, death, crime, and the foundations of the town hall. We've also learned a story about Prince Charles being in the building, We've learned about tulips, about the golem, and I've still not been allowed to sit in the chair in the assembly room after, <laughs> after three attempts. Lucia, tell us about this tower. Well, this is a Gothic tower. 
that belonged to the house that the council had purchased in 1338. And 50 years later, they wanted to not just adding the clock, but they wanted to have the tallest tower, of course, because they were the municipality. And so they built it to its uh, 70 meters that it has today. It's been slightly uh, repaired, the roof, it's a little bit of the 19th century. Recently, it's been completely cleaned and it has new tiling of slate from Spain, I believe it came. The Welsh one is too expensive. It was always here to protect. You would have person who would live here. He would have his flat up here and he would be, his duty was to look out. Look out for dangers, being it either armies, if they were moving towards the city, but also being within the city, with the hustling, bustling city, he was looking after the, or away and for smoke, for example. So in case, God forbid, uh, the fire started somewhere, he would raise an alarm to prevent and stop the, the fire to spread further. And he would also be the one who would recognize the hour and the night. So you will hear every hour there would be a trumpet that would sound from up here for people to know exactly what time of night they are in. From here, the view obviously is magnificent. That's one of the reasons we have towers and certainly why we modernise them to allow members of the public to come up and look around. But from here, you pointed off into the distance to a rather less attractive part of the town, if you don't mind me saying, and said, that's where I grew up. Several people that we've talked to over the couple of days that we've been here said the same thing when we said, you know, where are you from or are you from Prague? And they say, yes, I'm born in Prague, I've lived here all my life and I'm fiercely proud of being from this place. Sum up for us what it's like to, to grow up in what for the rest of us is a fairy tale. Pretty much every fairy story that doesn't take place in a forest, you can imagine taking place here. Rumpelstiltskin's hair down, the stories of... I mean, we even know that the, there are myths of, for example, the Wasserman, the, the sort of mermaid character and so on. But for you, presumably, this is much more than just a fairy story. Well, when I was a child, I grew up in the suburbs of Prague, where we are today. For me, it was a trip with my parents, Saturday, Sunday trip, to come to view, to look the same way as you do today. We would be coming here to look at the historical building, the history, to tell the stories, to tell the stories of Golem, of the Wassermen, of the kings, of the Hussites, of anything that, you know, you bring up your attention. At the end of it, I will get an ice cream or if it was a winter, I would get a cup of tea with some biscuits. But for me, it was like for anyone down below uh, here, it was a trip to a beautiful place. I look at it nostalgically. I prefer it the way I remember it. It was more grabbier, but it was that lot more mystique looking. Today, there are a lot of souvenir shops and lots of things that can kind of take the attention away from all of it. David, throughout this trip, has said Prague is one of my two favorite cities and standing up here you can see why for 290 degrees of the of the panorama you don't see modern Prague everything has been preserved in its original zones the red roofs the baroque and the gothic buildings are everywhere as far as your eye can see unlike when you go to a lot of European cities where they have an old town square and small areas that have been preserved this is a whole preserved city how if any of our listeners want to come on a tour of the town hall and, and beyond do they get in contact with you well we have a website of uh, the prague city tour where you can basically view the opening hours we are open every day from nine to nine that is excluding monday monday we started at 11 but uh, we provide the tours where for the price of the ticket which would be your interiors and your tower visit if you book the tour the tour guide like myself will walk you through the interiors walk you through with the story show you take you down to the underground there you can't get without the tour guide for safety reason and that's how you really find us. You just walk in. 
Thank you very much. Thank you for having me, and I hope you enjoy your time. David, Mark, there's something about fine dining <laughs> where the service is beyond brilliant. When you take a break from dining to record mm-hmm. and leave your dinner alone for ten seconds, there will be three waiters there to make sure you're all right. The experience of chicken soup and canadles is wonderful. It's the type of thing that we as Ashkenazi Jews have grown up on. It's comfort food, it's soul food, but there is something of a difference. In fact, let's just hear from our gentlemen, waiter. I do apologize to interrupt, gentlemen. Uh, let me introduce you a second Amisbush. We are serving a, uh, uh, it's actually finger food, so no cutlery needed. Crispy cup from bear butter stuffed with uh, marinated cucumber. There is also pea puree, fresh creme fraiche, begonia flour, and afila. Uh, if I can recommend, try to eat it all at once because it's fragile. Enjoy. Thank you. Thank you so much. So, you Where were saying, we? you grow up in a Jewish Ashkenazi home and there's a certain type of food. So, Friday night it's chicken soup, it's maybe with um, canadles or noodles or both. Then it's going to be chicken with Helsel stuffing, it used to be roast potatoes, oh, a couple potatoes. of veg, lakshan pudding for dessert, a noodle pudding. And that was your meal. And then maybe, you know, on a, on a Shabbat morning, Saturday morning, there'd be a bit of gefilte fish, maybe some herring and so on. Comfort food, but very old-fashioned. Eastern European. Eastern European cooking. Largely not strong flavours. So here we are in Eastern Europe, in the Czech Republic, in Prague. We're doing something slightly different from mm-hmm. chicken and hells or stuffing. We've come to the Field Restaurant a one Michelin-starred restaurant, which is the brainchild of the Czech Republic's TV personality, right. the main TV chef. He's a gentleman called Radek Kasparek, and we are going to spend the evening trying the vegetarian degustation menu, and we'll, we'll keep you updated as we go along. But it is a sight. It's not a sight for sore eyes. It's a my, sight my to eyes are just looking and in love with some of the food. So, as you heard, I mean, the, the, the waiter, we, we need to actually go back and listen to what the waiter presented to us, but it looks absolutely stunningly presented. I did hear that there was cucumber in it, there were flowers in it, we can see there are uh, fresh Please, herbs I on think. the top. I, we, we do have the menu, so we no, could no, but we're on it. the amuse-bouche. Yeah, we're not so there yet. So we get yet. three amuse-bouche, just to wet our appetite before mm-hmm. the six or seven courses. I just want to say I've never in my life liked sauerkraut, which is typical Eastern European food. But sauerkraut salt in a butter on is potato ab- bread. Absolutely phenomenal. Anyway, let's try this dish. We've got to put it in our mouths in one go. Bon appetit. We'll tell you how it tastes, and then we're going to get on with our food. Mmm. That is so fresh. Mmm. Mmm. Mm. You're going to have to explain the taste because I was too busy crunching it for the microphone. Imagine the freshest, freshest cucumber Mm -hmm. that you can with some herbs. There was a lovely little flower on top. It just tasted like the freshest salad that you could find. We hope we've made your mouth water. We hope you're intensely jealous. The place is the Field Restaurant right next door to the uh, old Jewish quarter right in the heart of Prague. Oh, Mark. I would say, oh, David, but I am just (laughs) so replete. I think, and this is with all due respect to my wonderful daughter, this is probably the best meal I've ever had in my life. Other than what my wife cooks, this (laughs) is definitely... (laughs) My wife has no pretensions. (laughs) I'm the cook in the house, actually. My daughter is phenomenal and I think could thrive in a kitchen that must be behind the scenes here at Field in Prague. We're halfway through our vegetarian digestion. Degustation. Degustation. Digestion. <laughs> Indigestion menu. Whilst the menu, which includes caviar. Seaweed caviar. Seaweed caviar, which looked, and I'm assuming texturally, tasted just like caviar. Um, in addition to that, for those of you who would want not to drink wine, 
there is also a non-alcoholic pairing option, which includes rhubarb and tarragon, an apple and dill, a celeriac and lovage, etc. And cherry cola. Cherry cola is a little bit off-putting in a place where the quality is so high, but I'm sure it's wonderful. Maybe it's a homemade cherry cola. While we've been talking here, another table has been rolled up and I think we're about to be entertained again. If there was one complaint, and Mark, you've mentioned it, it's maybe too quick, too much. When you end up with 10 courses, three amuse-bouche, I can see someone's dinner being set alight behind us. A lot of this is show as well. It's not, it's not just the tastes, which are amazing. But the presentation... Our last dish, which was a tofu relish with uh, black garlic and potato, came with... Was it, was it liquid nitrogen or another way of showing London fog of the Victorian era? In a bowl with built inside the glass, just full of twigs to give that, that a fire nest. feel. Yeah. It's absolutely stunning. We'll do one more sort of quick report at the end. But meantime... Oh, yes. (laughs) I'm not sure if this bit is edible. What the heck is that? I don't know. It looks like a a a toadstool. A pacifier or a dummy. When was the last time you went to a restaurant and they bought you a picnic basket about eight courses in? It's so bizarre because if someone years ago would have said to you, you're going to a restaurant and we're going to give you a picnic basket, you would be sort of insulted or say... I want my food on a plate. We've been presented with a three-layer box. A set of drawers. About 12 inches by nine inches. The top part, if one opens it, or on top, I should say, were a couple of pretzels. And then inside, there is a non-alcoholic drink. Shame. (laughs) Which is from Blackcurrant. There's some more vegetarian caviar. This time it's pink. Some onion butter, a bonbon, some sheep's cheese. And each layer of the picnic basket, there's a drawer that opens up and it's more and more magical. And just underneath the items of food that have been presented in their own beautiful casing, there is also a bed that has been provided for the food to nestle in. It's definitely not chicken with hells or stuffing. (laughs) I suspect I've already said this, but this is the best meal I've ever had in my life. Sorry, Talia. (laughs) That's my daughter. Uh, We are serving a little refreshment, gentlemen. Uh, It's basically a cherry granita together with sorbet from wild roses on the top dried rose petals. And on site with it, we are serving a homemade cotton candy, which is powdered with uh, cherry powder basically a little trip back to the childhood for you one of the most underrated films in my opinion and also in my opinion one of the greatest films ever made is monty python's meaning of life there is a scene in which a guest in a restaurant mr creosote mr creosote says i couldn't eat another thing i'm absolutely stuffed he puts it in crude terms i'm going to put it in polite terms I've had elegant sufficiency. I've had ample bountitude. The food has been magnificent. It has been delicious. And I've had the wonderful company of Mr. Mark Gordon. But could you manage one more wafer thin mint? I couldn't have another thing. I'm absolutely stuffed. A field has been delightful, tasty, not just food, but an element of theatre to it as well. Absolutely. The fog that was really, I think, liquid liquid nitrogen that surrounded one of the dishes. The candy floss that was served with dessert. When have you ever had candy floss in an extremely good restaurant? A picnic box on course number eight. All we can say is the field is a thousandfold recommended. Absolutely. Prague, I've only just got here. You haven't seen anything yet. I haven't really. I've seen... The walk here was magnificent. We went past three or four synagogues. I got a feel for Prague and its history, but this is modern Prague. Next time, walk into a synagogue on your way to dinner. Pray for your food. Amen. David, you've had some ideas in your time, but this is one of the worst. We're standing by a fountain that's spraying all up my legs. Well, I said we need to get sound effects to make people realise we're actually here. We're in Wenceslas Square, which really should be called Wenceslas Rectangle. 
we're drawing to a close our time here. We've dined in some incredible places. We've met some wonderful people. Some of the sites that we have seen, new and of course historic, have been amazing. We have some thank yous to do. Yes, thank you to Prague Municipality for this water fountain that is trickling up my leg. It's lovely on a hot day like this. Big thank you to Stefan, Ivo, Alan, Yatira and Adnan from the Mozart Prague, our guides Vlasta and Lucia, Martin and Holly for entertaining us at Manifesto Market, to all the team at Field Restaurant and to Marek at Czech Tourism and Camilla at Prague City Tourism. You do enjoy doing all the thank yous, don't you? Pleasure. It's been a fantastic trip. Before we go, quiz question mark. The question was, where does the name Prague come from? Prague. Czechoslovakia, correct. Yeah. But what does it mean? Well, I know, but I would never have guessed. Prague allegedly means a ford or a rapid, referring to the flow of the river Vlatova, which runs through the centre of Prague. Right opposite our lovely hotel, of it, course. It was. We had great it, views. That's where the weir is. No, we're here in Wenceslas. Oh, dearie Sister. me. Dearie me. We've got to stop at that point. Folks... It's been a lot of fun. Mark wants to say something else. I want to say, if you've enjoyed this podcast, make sure you listen to all our other podcasts. We've been to 30 or 40 locations now. Enjoy them. Get some ideas. Give us some feedback. Especially give us five stars on your podcast provider. Send us an email. Look at our social media at Mark David Pod. He is very needy, isn't he? Goodbye from Prague. Love me, please. <laughs>